Charlie Parkhurst was a legend among Wells Fargo stagecoach drivers, known as one of the best. He smoked cigars, chewed tobacco, played cards, and drank with the best of them. He died in 1879, and upon his death, the secret he carried was revealed. Charlie was a woman. Joining us today is author Karen Kondasian. Her book is The Whip, a novel inspired by the story of this one-eyed, tobacco-spitting, gold-rush-era Wells Fargo driver. Welcome to the program. (laughs) Thank you. So first, tell us how you became acquainted with this story. Well, let's see. I was in my 20s. I was reading Cosmopolitan magazine, How to Get a Man, and there was this wonderful article uh, about wild women of the West, and one of the people in it was Charlie Parkhurst. And, you know, I thought to myself when I read it, how in God's name does a person, a woman, for 30 years disguise themselves without being discovered, right. especially with all those macho men that she mm-hmm. hung out with, stagecoach drivers. And um, I, I used to think about it. I, I thought to myself, you know, how in the, you know, we always have that question, how, how like yeah. an astronaut, how do they pee, <laughs> how, you know, up there? Yeah, right. You know, I was thinking, <laughs> how did she pee on the trail? How did she um, uh, cover her body right. so that, you know, no one would could tell her her face? Um, um, how did she have a period, you yeah. know, in those bouncing trails? Um, and I think about this and it kind of, you know, and then I'd forget about it and then, all of a sudden, I don't know, my mother passed away, and I, I, I decided I would write something for her, dedicate something to her. So I started on this journey, and six years later, and 27 drafts, oh. I finished the book. Little did I dream it would be, you know, a part of my life. Right. So basically, Charlie's been with you for a while. A Can't long you, time. Long time. Keep popping those questions in your head. <laughs> yes, that's it. And I, I visited her in, in Watsonville, California, her grave. Mm-hmm. And by the way, she's buried in the Odd Fellow Cemetery. Isn't that funny? Which is, you know, was, and I think still is, a very famous men's charity group. And right. only men could be asked to join, and she was asked to join. It was a big privilege. And so when when she died, they... They couldn't believe that this famous stagecoach driver was a woman. All the doctors came running from San Francisco, Santa Cruz, everywhere, you know, and they realized that she had had a child. And um, so it's one of those amazing stories, you know. So why did you choose to do a fictional account of Charlie Parkhurst rather than a biography? Well, you know, I think it was Mark, yeah, it was Mark Twain who said, Truth is stranger than fiction, but it's because fiction is obliged to stick to possibilities and truth is not. (laughs) Yeah, it's a great quote. Um, um, Why? Because there are only about four or five real facts about her that we know. Mm. We know that she was the first woman to vote in America as a man Mm -hmm. for General Grant. Right. We know that she was a famous stagecoach driver in California for 30 years. We know that she killed the famous outlaw Sugarfoot, who robbed a stagecoach one too many times. Um, And we know that she had had a child. Mm -hmm. 
And that's about it. Well, and, 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 and that she was in an orphanage. And that I, she, yeah. yes. Yeah. And yeah. that she, of course, she grew up in an orphanage. Mm-hmm. Um, probably was born in, uh, they're not sure, Rhode Island, Providence. There's, you know, there's a lot of rumors mm-hmm. where she was born. Um, and to answer your question, um, I was, you know, these questions that I was consumed with, mm-hmm. um, I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to take this story, take all the facts, and then just create her internal life. Mm. In, and, 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 and if you read the book, I, and you have, mm-hmm. of course, um, thank you very much, mm-hmm. the river that runs through the book, the theme is, if someone destroyed horribly everything that you love in this world, everyone that you love in this world, your children, your grandchildren, your husband, your wife, could you forgive them? Mm. And if you couldn't, how far could you go? Would you go? Mm-hmm. And so this, with this theme in mind, I decided to write a novel, to mm-hmm. novelize it, mm-hmm. and to make a love story and to create a life for her because mm-hmm. there's so many rumors. I went to Watsonville and interviewed a lot of older folks whose great-grandparents knew her, or knew of her, and, you know, there's all these rumors. Right. So I just put all the rumors together, and I created a story. It, it should, and I could not put it down. I'll say that right now. So the life of a whip or stagecoach driver, and we should say elite drivers were, were called uh, the, the whips. This was tough. This was a dangerous job that few men could do. That's an amazing accomplishment in itself that not only that could she pull off, you know, people thinking she was a man, but that she could actually do this job. So tell us a little bit about what the whip's life was like. Oh, my God. You had to be, you had to be a real tough guy um, because, first of all, there was a lot of danger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, people were constantly robbing, especially Wells Fargo, mm-hmm. um, which carried the gold as well as the letters. Um, you had to be uh, strong moving boxes, right. luggage. You had to be, um, you had to really know the roads, but most of all, you had to know horses. Um, she was driving six horses, 16 horses, and a horse. You had to have a rein, a rein in each finger. It was like playing the piano. And, and also, apparently... I went to a Mustang ranch, a wild Mustang ranch in Utah, and people who are really good with horses have a sixth sense with the horse. Mm-hmm. You can communicate just with thoughts, and I didn't believe that until I actually took three, four hours with these wild Mustangs, and it's true. Mm. Yeah, there's a sort of a magic that happens yes. there, like, like the, the horse whisperer. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. And yeah. at the end of my time with these horses, I put my arms around this great old, that I was told to breathe with this huge horse, this wild horse. It was one of the extraordinary experiences of my life, just to put my arms around this horse and breathe with him. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and the relationship in the book that you have with Charlie and the horses, you 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 really get that sense that that Charlie really did understand. And and, and as a matter of fact, Charlie slept in the barns. Mother was most yes. comfortable sleeping in the barns, and you know that makes a lot of sense for for the for the life that she led. Uh, so tell us about the research involved. You said there, you know, you took the four facts, you went and you talked, you heard about the rumors. Um, what other kind of research was involved? Oh in my God! This together? 
Well, first of all, of course, it's the 19th century. It's mm-hmm. that she was born in 1812 to 1879 is when she died. By the way, she mm-hmm. was old when she mm-hmm. died of of mouth cancer, yeah. too much chewing tobacco, right. cigars, and alcohol. Um, and by the way, she died also of the same disease that her the man she voted for, mm-hmm. Grant, died of. Yeah. Uh, research. I was. I, it was down to things like looking in the dictionary to see if a word was used mm. at that time. What year did okay come out? <laughs> you know, I write about that in the yeah. book, 1845s. <laughs> it was an Indian word that sounded like right. okay. And we took it from the American Indians and used it. I, they probably said some, yeah. it sounded like okay. And um, uh, we've taken so many of our words that way. So down to yeah. Just word by word, I had to look up, including, of course, right. you know, the the politics, the religion, what, the, was, happening. what, what was happening. Yeah. I had to look up things like in Sacramento, the, the plagues, there were always mm. plagues happening and people were sick and floods, mm. you yeah. know. So how did you put yourself into that, into the head, into the mindset of Charlie? Well... First of all, I'm very grateful. I've been an actor since I was eight years old. Started on the Art Link Letter Show. I read that. Obnoxious children. Oh, I thought they were adorable. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, and actors, you know, that's the first thing you do is you create a backstory of the person's life that you're playing. And then you you try to understand even, I mean, I was fortunate at one point in my life to be close to Anthony Hopkins when he was uh, working on um, Hitler. Mm-hmm. And I would sit with him at lunch and he'd talk about how Hitler was a fallen angel. And I was like, I didn't understand what he was saying. I was just like a post for him to talk Mm -hmm. to. And I realized that you have to fall in love with your character, whether it's Hitler or Mother Teresa. um, And you have to get inside of the head of the person. And that's what I tried to do so much with Charlie. So you're asking yourself these questions of why, what, what, what would Charlie do in this instance, yes. or what made Charlie this way, or you know, you know, and what was she how, thinking, and how did she get here? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And all the, the, you know, it's very hard. You have to logic is very important in a mm. book. Yeah, everything has to be it has logical. To sense, yeah. It has to make sense, right. even yeah. though it's fiction. Yeah, like right. Mark Twain no, that's, said. That's right. You know? Yeah. So talk about some of the characters then that you um, introduce us to. There's there's Lee, who is a fellow orphan. Um, and there's uh, you know other characters Jonah who Jonah, who, who raised her, her how, about the horses, horses. Um, the evil woman whose name I can't remember that's in the orphanage who just seems yes. so oh the headmistress, the headmistress yes. yes and and Byron and who right, she right. fell in love with right so um, how did the, did these characters just sort of kind of appear to you as you're figuring out okay what would you know she's in an orphanage what would that experience be like well she's got to have you know somebody who doesn't like her somebody who does. I mean do you how did well, these characters well, introduce themselves well I actually found out that it was very they had tough people working in those orphanages it wasn't like now mm. and i didn't want to make it too dick dickness yeah, right, you know right. but you know in a way it was the orphanages were like dickens you yeah. know um and so she came up in my mind um you know it's funny when you write occasionally the gift is that 
you channel. Mm-hmm. I can't explain it, but it's like actors have the same experience. Yeah. Suddenly you're channeling. And that doesn't mean it happens all the time. Sometimes you're just sitting there staring at white screen. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, these people would come to me and the story would come to me. So it and just starts writing itself in a way. It does. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. And then, of course, acting, you have to learn to improvise. Mm-hmm. And that's what writing is. It's improvising. Right. We're talking with a Karen Kondaisi, and her book is The Whip. Um, now, when you think about this, as we mentioned, this is amazing that she was able to pull this off. She was considered a man's man. I mean, yes. these manly men thought she was, you know more manly than they were. Um, the, the men closest to her were absolutely shocked, as you mentioned uh, at this revelation, that the man that they knew was really a woman. Uh, and you think about that, there had to be times, like you have a scene in the book where she breaks some ribs and she has to go to the doctor. Yes. And, you know, she's trying to be all tough about it. No, I don't know. And she ends up having to take her shirt off. And, of course, the doctor is in on her secret now. Yes. But he doesn't reveal that. No, he and says, what, he don't says, be upset. What I love, though, there is you said, you're not the only one. And that sort of gave her some solace, thinking, then there are other women doing this, pretending to be men? Yes, exactly. Well, it's interesting. In the research that I did, a lot of women put on britches. Mm -hmm. And why they did that was for many reasons. I mean, freedom to Mm -hmm. travel. Um, Also, uh, if you you were a free spirit like I am, like maybe probably you are, you know, you had a, you had no dreams. Women couldn't dream in those days. Right. All you could dream of was finding somebody to marry you and have, you know, 19 children to right. take care of the ranch. Um, and Or you could be a prostitute. Mm-hmm. That was exciting, but not really. It was mm-hmm. a horrible life. Um, and if you had a little education, you could be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Or And something I didn't put in the book, but if you were really ugly and that's what they looked for... You could go out into the war fields and you could be a nurse. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that doesn't mean going to medical school. Right. I mean, it's just, you know, taking care of soldiers and trying mm-hmm. to do what a, a mother would do for a right. child. Mm-hmm. Um, that was it. You yeah. had no other choices. Yeah. And so you introduce as another character, that a young girl, Tonia, Antonia, Antonia. Um, who has... And, and Charlie sees herself a little bit in this little girl because this little girl's like... I don't. I want to grow up and you know be a whip like you. You know, it's like, and she here was this little girl having dreams that, and her mother was not happy about this because no. it's like this is something a girl can't do. Don't encourage her. That's right. um, but she did. She had this great little spirit um, uh, that would have been tough in those days for a young girl to dream like that. That's right. Yeah. But she, had, you know, the little girl was like as you say, like a little duplicate Charlie, you know, in a sense, yeah. and wanted to learn about horses and, and have a, a life like Charlie, who yeah. she was in love with, yeah. who became her like her, sur- her surrogate father. Yeah, fascinating <laughs> when you think about it. Um, so you're, as you mentioned, you're now you're an award-winning actress. You've starred in TV, films, theater. Uh, this is your first book. So why did you decide to try your hand at writing? What was it that you said, mm, I think I want to write a book? Hmm. Because I'm a masochist, probably. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, Just because after my mom died, as I say, I wanted to kind of put my feelings into something 
that that was not just a play that was something that that would I could dedicate to my parents and also you know again part of the acting training is that you, you it's called sense memory mm-hmm. in the method work and it means that you know a, 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 you hear a song you smell something you hear whatever you see something it brings up a feeling so I was able to, like, in the loss part, you know, use my feelings, my emotional feelings, and write through it about my mom, the mm. loss, about, you know, all kinds of things I was feeling. And, I, you know, I, it was just the right time mm. in my life. Yeah. So different skill sets involved here uh, in acting. In, uh, your acting's more collaborative, writing more solitary. So how do you go about switching hats between those two processes. Well, the on, the real difference, the process is almost the same in a funny way, the creative process. Mm-hmm. But the, the as you say, being alone, um, I happen to be an only child, so mm. being alone is, is it, I love it. And so me and the computer, I actually started on a yellow legal pad. <laughs> That's how I started, with a tape recorder. Mm-hmm. And I suggest anybody who wants to write, um, instead of looking at a blank page, uh, is to take a tape recorder. Um, is that what they're called now? When yeah, I or, Six years ago, yeah, it was right. called a tape recorder when I did it. Um, and just sit down and don't start at the beginning. Just any ideas that you have, mm-hmm. just put it on the tape recorder. Do that. Is it called Dragon, that, that, that software that transcribes? Oh. It, it could trans- be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It transcribes. That's for you. Yeah. So you don't have yeah. to have someone transcribe it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you've got 20, 30 pages of something that you can start, you know, dealing with yeah. if you have an idea. Because everybody has the dream to write a book. Right. Everybody. everybody. Well, and it's, it's interesting because now I'm not author of a book, but, you know, I write a lot for, for my job. And it's sometimes when you're writing a story, it, that that beginning or that end just doesn't come to you. But you're right. You start somewhere in the middle. Anywhere. and then the And then it just sort of comes to you and you... You're able to yes. sort of put it all together after after you know you get started. I think but, I, yeah, I yeah. think the thing that really puts people uh, you know frightens them is like, okay, what's the first sentence? Yes, you know, you get oh, stuck and, there. Yeah. and oh, I don't, that isn't punctuated right, and I don't know the right adjective in that. Who cares? I say to myself, this is how I write. I go now. I want to write this chapter as badly as I can. <laughs> no, I, seriously, I say to myself, I say it out loud. Okay. This is, I'm going to write this as badly as I can, which gives you yeah. the freedom to just right. go, yeah. to, excuse me, but to vomit it out. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then what happens is you go, wow, there's some interesting stuff in there. Right. And then you fix it later. Right. But, you know, we just, we're all, a lot of us get perfectionistic. Right. And then right what's from the, the start. And yeah. then you, you're yes. starting, it's like, oh, please, this is too hard. Yeah. You know, people exactly. give up. So do you find, um, do you keep like a notepad or anything next to your bed? Because it seems like a lot of times people have that, you know, you, you sleep on it, so to speak. You wake up in the morning or you wake up in the middle of the night and all of a sudden you go, oh, that's the solution to the problem I've been looking for. Yes. And, and a lot, by the way, a lot of my, the answers to the stories came from my dreams. Mm. I would think about it before I went to sleep. And then not every time, but many times, an answer would come. In fact, the ending of the book came that way. Mm -hmm. I I didn't get the ending of the book until probably the 25th draft. Mm. Yeah, I'm not going to give away the ending, but I I will say I thought it was there's a scene that we have in the beginning of the book, and then we have it at the end of the book where we know the whole story. I actually went back and said, wait a second, 
this is exactly the same. It's not exactly the same because it's he and he he thought yeah. he said she said, and it was fascinating. I thought that was a really interesting, uh, you know, book ending. Yeah, it was. Do you, yeah. do you know the one thing that not too many people get? Thank you for catching that. But I, is that it, at the end of the first one, mm-hmm. she inhales, mm-hmm. and then the whole book is the breath. Right to the exhale. And I think life is that brief. Mm -hmm. You inhale, it's life, and then you exhale. Well, it's funny because there's a spot in the book. In the whole book, there was one, uh, and this is a passage that you wrote, you wrote, uh, she wrote on past the crumbling brick buildings and the peeling white houses. Everything was temporary. She understood that now. All of this was temporary. It would all be snatched away. It was all on loan. Even the people we love, they were all on loan. One day you see their face across a rickety table, or you pass them hurrying from here to there, or you see them leave you in your bed, and their profile passes you by, and you don't know your thoughts are somewhere else. And then they are snatched away forever, and you did not know to say goodbye. You did not know. Oh, you read that beautifully. Thank you. (laughs) That's the passage I picked out of the whole book. Isn't that funny? No, but <laughs> you, thank you. Yeah. I'm going to have you come and read uh, my uh, readings. Oh, funny. That's funny. Um, I want to talk about Byron for a little bit. Yes. Uh, Byron is, is the man that she falls in love with. Yes. And um, tell us a little about that love story, how you, how, you, how you brought Byron to. Well, when I was in Watsonville, her middle name on her gravestone is Darkie. Okay. Darkie in those days was an African-American term. And there was a rumor that she had been with a, not in California, but mm-hmm. in, in the East, in Boston, with a runaway slave. And so I thought, wow. And I, I thought, what a fascinating thing, because she was such a, an outsider anyway. Mm-hmm. She, she blew all the rules. She lived her life out loud. Mm-hmm. And so let's have a love, love affair with mm-hmm. this beautiful black man mm-hmm. who she fell madly in love with. And, of course, she was raised by a black man, Jonah. Mm-hmm. Jonah, who taught, taught her about Taught horses. her he was like her father. Mm-hmm. Um, so to her, that was just a natural right. extension. Right. And um, it's too bad everybody else didn't think that was okay, because that created problems, big that problems. That did create for, problems. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we know in real life that she had a baby. And in, in your book, Byron is the father of that baby. Yes. Do we, do we know anything about that baby in reality? Do you know the New York Times, uh, January 9th, 1880, wrote an obituary, a long, beautiful, that's mm-hmm. in the it's back in, of my book. book. Yeah. And they asked many newspapers for relatives to come claim her. Was there anyone who knew her, uh, anything about her? Do you know that after six, seven months they gave up, nobody mm. came to claim her? Mm. Nobody. We have no... No family, idea. you know, there's nothing that we know. Mm. Do we? It's almost like she was dropped on this earth, yeah. you know. Don't know who her parents were. No, no, isn't that fascinating? No, yeah. I mean, there are rumors right. that there's a turkey mm-hmm. uh, somehow in her name. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. When she signed the ledger for voting, she wrote. They're not, they're not sure if it was Darkie or Durkey, mm-hmm. but they think it was Durkey. Yeah. Now, one of the things, too, that we know about the real Charlie Parkhurst is he had one eye. Well, that's towards the end of her life. She yeah. got kicked in the eye by a horse. She mm-hmm. was shooing a horse. Yeah. And 
without what she went through so many challenges right. to survive. And uh, yes, they called her one eyed Charlie. Yeah. But, you know, I've gotten letters from people in Kansas. Woman wrote a beautiful letter to me saying that her husband had just died and her son had tried to commit suicide and they were about to lose their house and they had no insurance. And I mean, it was horrible. And um, she said she had gotten from the library. She saw it in the new book uh, section, The Whip. And she said, this book helped me so much. If Charlie could survive what she did, she said, I can. And so I wrote back and forth with her. It was so moving. And I've had other uh, stories like this. Well, that's one of the, I think, the inspiring things about the story is, is, you know, because Charlie does struggle and we see that struggle. And then there is a point where Charlie says, you know, like it's, it's almost like I can't remember exactly how you phrase it, but it's like okay, it, I have to you know find what you know find my path here. Just do do what I got to do. Yes. Do what I need to do to live. And you know, in the book, I say in every problem there's a gift in its hand, mm-hmm. and in a sense, we create the problem because we need the gift, and that's what I think she comes to terms with. So what's been the response? I mean, you're talking about this woman uh, that wrote to you from Kansas, but I—I I mean, it's—it's a—I couldn't put it down. It's—it's it's a fascinating story, and it makes so much sense that this could be her real story, but it, it reads like it's real. Um, is that what you get people saying to you? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I—and I—I'll tell you one of the secrets of why I think you—you you said you almost stayed up all night reading the book. I did. I stayed up way too late. Okay. <laughs> is that I write very short chapters? Yes. That's why, and it's true, you can go, I go, oh, just one more chapter. And I think yes. I said, just one more chapter, maybe 10 times, you know, at least. <laughs> yes, it's like sugar, you yeah. know, I'll have yeah. one more, one more. potato yeah. chip. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, what, I, what I found was by doing that, it, it does two things. It gives a speed to the book, right. a momentum. And, and you, just what you said, mm-hmm. you, you think, well, I'll read one more, mm-hmm. one more, right. you know. Three hours later. <laughs> you, you've written, you've read, you know, half the book. Exactly. Um, but. I I'm very grateful that the book has been. It, it was on the cover of Publishers Weekly, mm-hmm. um, with uh, nine other books. Um, it was featured, and um, it's gotten some very nice reviews. Mm-hmm. And, and hope- for your first book, that's fabulous, I, I'm, right? I'm very yeah. grateful. Are you going to write more? I'm actually writing, uh, starting a new book called. Looking for Jack Kerouac, oh. and it's not about Jack Kerouac. It's, it's that when I was a young girl um, with long hair during the seventies, um, late seventies, I was a hippie and in San Francisco, <laughs> and I used to go to the City Lights bookstore, and I was in love with Jack Kerouac, and on the road, and I'd go to the City Lights, and I'd say, "Is Jack Kerouac here?" I was thirteen, and they'd say, "No, he's across the street," and I'd go across the street, and he wasn't there. No, he's down there, and I kept to all my life. I was looking for Jack Kerouac. I never found Jack Kerouac, and I was very lucky because. He loved thirteen-year-old girls. Mm-hmm. I was protected, yeah. and all so my is it life. So, sort of a memoir. Though? It is a. F- yeah. I'm going to call it a fictionalized memoir because mm-hmm. I've had a crazy, wild life. I should have died several mm-hmm. times, um, and I want to say that again. To the, the th- it isn't that my story is so fascinating. I want people to realize that in their lives, they're always protected mm-hmm. in a sense. Mm-hmm. Everything that happens to them. Karen Kandosian, the book is The Whip. Thanks so much, Karen, for coming in and talking with us. It was a lot of fun. And oh, the bo- I, lo- you're I love great. the book. And I love thank book. you. It was Thanks. lovely with you. Yeah. I'm Mindy Todd. Thanks for listening.
Point airs weekdays at 9.30 a.m. and 7.30 p.m. We're also on Facebook at The Point, WCAI. The Point is produced by Amy Vince. The executive producer is Mindy Todd. Production assistance from Dan Tridel. Theme music by Benjamin Verdery and William Coulter. The Point is a production of the Cape and Islands NPR stations, a service of WGBH. WGBH.